0: Hello and welcome to this edition of the Thinking Christianly podcast, sponsored by Global Scholars. I'm your host, Jordan Plank. Joining me are Dr. Stan Wallace and Dr. J.P. Moreland. Gentlemen, welcome. It's so good to see both of you.
1: You too. Great to be here.
0: Today, we are going to talk about a phrase or combination of words that really has an enormous amount of meaning that we need to unpack and that is worldview. It's a relatively recent term, and it seems like it might have an easy explanation and a few handy metaphors, but we want to talk about it and make sure we're getting some really critical distinctions correct. So, open us up by trying to ask, what is a worldview?
1: Well, I think a very simple definition uh, would be a worldview is the set of all the things you believe about life's most important things and their relationships to each other. Now, let me explain that latter part. Uh, consider a sentence. Let's just forget about worldview and take, think about a sentence. The dog is brown. Now, uh, compare that with a with a with an alphabet soup where I have the same letters, but they're all scrambled on a tabletop. So there's a T and an O and a G and... and, and uh, they both have the same elements, don't they? They both have the same letters, but but one's a sentence and one isn't. Why? Well, because one of them has a is structured in a certain way. So it's the elements, the, the individual letters, plus the right structure. And a worldview isn't just a list of the things you believe, but it's their relationship to one another. So, for example... Some things we believe provide evidence for or support other things we believe. So, for example, uh, my belief uh, that there are moral absolutes supports my belief in God. Uh, My belief in God uh, supports my belief in an afterlife. So your worldview would be basically the things you believe about life's most important questions and the support relationships that they have with each other sand you want to do an, uh, try another one
2: well no, I, I like that distinction uh, in terms of the relationship uh really helpful uh the way I've framed worldview is in a broad sense what we understand to be good true and beautiful and therefore how how we should live in order to flourish. So Mm. uh, I'm, I'm calling out the distinction between what we believe to your Mm -hmm. point, connected uh, in interesting and important ways, but then how that then leads us into the good life. So some have referred to it as a world and life view. And uh, I think that captures the, the, um, the holistic nature of, of, of the idea. Beautiful. Beautiful.
0: That's really helpful. And I think as Christians, as we're trying to engage with culture, sometimes we bump into, we bump into ways that the culture doesn't seem to match up with our value system. And
1: I mean, I stop you there. Yeah. I, I, would you mind if if we said doesn't match up with our worldview Much rather better. than just our value system? I I because I, I, I want to include the value system within a broader worldview context. Mm-hmm. So I'd rather say it that way.
0: Yeah, that makes great sense. Yeah.
1: So so keep going. Just keep
0: Yeah. Let me let me see if I can get that a little bit more clear here. You know, with with those things in mind, the the way that we approach and engage with the things in our world, our worldview. Why would it be important for Christians to really give serious consideration to what we include in our worldview?
2: Well, I've I've read a number of folks on this and there's a whole range of the kind of questions that are foundational in terms of a worldview. Um, But they're all lists of the kind of questions that are the big questions that we all ask and, and need to answer. So some have said, you know, minimally it answers what is real, how do I know and and why does it matter? Uh, Others might say it, it answers the questions. Who am I? Why am I here and where am I going? Uh, Jim Sire has got a, uh, I, I think maybe the classic uh, work on the subject. There are others that are good, but uh, his The Universe Next Door, a basic worldview catalog uh, is has been read by now several generations of folks. Uh, and it's been helpful to a lot of us and certainly including me. He gives seven basic worldview questions that uh, that everyone has an answer to, not always consistently. By the way, it's another conversation, but uh, that all of us need to ask and answer and do in one way or another. Uh, one, what is prime reality? What, what's really real, as he says? Two, what's the nature of external reality? That is the world around us. Three, what is a human being? Four, what happens to a person at death? Five, why is it possible to know anything at all? Six, how do we know what is right and wrong? And seven, what is the meaning of human history? So again, mm. big questions—the kind of mm. questions we all have to have an answer to—to to live, and hopefully to live well, if we have the right answers.
1: Well, and and that, boy, that's good. And uh, just to add to that, in terms of why it's important uh, to think about what we include and what we don't, and 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 the role a worldview plays. So, I mean, suppose you're reading a novel and uh it's about this character and it 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 traces his life and his ups and downs and the connections that he makes with other people and he's on a mission of some kind and so on and sup- suppose that you just drop into the middle of the book and you and you read let's say chapter 7 uh and there are 15 chapters in the book well it's not that you can't get anything out of that because suppose that chapter 7 is about the 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 hero of the story um, having uh, this mission where he goes overseas and and steals uh, uh, some uh, contraband and bombs and at his own risk and so on, you, you could get something out of the chapter if you'd never read anything of the rest of the book. But let's face it when you when you can read that chapter in light of the the whole story that's developing. And and that will give you eyes to see things in that chapter that you just would not have seen without that larger picture. So what a worldview does is try to give you the most general, most important framework that informs, it doesn't determine, but it informs how we see things and think and value and 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 those kinds of things so that's why this is a big deal and it's important to decide what what are the things that go into it because i mean i have a certain view about the way patio furniture ought to be arranged you know and my wife and i don't agree about patio furniture and <laughs> she wins that argument every time <laughs> but i'm not calling concluding that in my worldview okay mm. so this is kind of uh the Those seven issues that Stan mentioned, plus his talking about world and life view, means that uh, what what a world and life view really includes are sort of the most important questions that really affect kind of how we see ourselves and life and the rest of it. And there's no line you can draw that this is in and this is out, but there's a pretty good general sense people get that the questions that Stan quoted from sire sure are at the core uh, mm-hmm. of of a worldview
0: something that you mentioned there when you were talking about uh the book example or or reading into the middle of a book is the idea of world building and you know when an author is writing a book or when someone is trying to make a television show or a movie they are attempting to build a world around themselves, and around the story and set up the constraints and the parameters. That's different than a worldview. But a lot of people in our day and age, really see worldview more as world building, you know, okay, you just set up the the parameters and constraints for your own life, because you are dictating your own reality. You know, I, I encounter that pretty often. So, when we're encountering objective reality alongside someone who is attempting to construct a world around themselves like it, we just clash and mm. and it's a significant point of conflict in our culture and there is there's a metaphor I'd like you to talk about a little bit JP because this is the one that I have heard over and over actually and many times in lectures even that our worldview is the lens through which we see the world. Yeah,
1: set of glasses that set that, of glasses. Uh, yeah, you see the world, and I think people who use that are well intentioned, mm-hmm. and and there's certainly a, an aspect of that that that's true. But uh, the pro, well, the the real way to put it, is a worldview is a set of glasses that are kind of cemented to your face. <laughs> Once <laughs> you form it, it's kind of cemented on there. Mm-hmm. Now, now the the real problem with that is that that leads to a constructivist view of reality, uh, which means that I, I can never get outside of my glasses to see if the world is really the way that my glasses make me think it is. Now, the reason that real glasses are are helpful in us seeing things. It's because people have built them without having to use glasses to see the world. And they've made glasses to get us closer and closer to what we can do without them. So uh, we're able to take the glasses off, you might say, and compare what we've experienced with a direct access to the world. But the worldview is glasses position says that there is something between me and the world. Or whatever's out there, if there is a world out there at all, but but whatever there is out there, and and I have whatever is out there filtered through my worldview, so that I can't ever know what's really going on in the real world, Uh, and and uh, instead of worldview as uh, as the glasses. Um, today, it's what you said brilliantly, Jordan, about constructivist views. I, instead of the, you know, your worldview, pe- a lot of people will say your glasses are your your gender, mm-hmm. or your ethnicity, or your socioeconomic class, or whatever. But but your your glasses are are things that construct the world. Uh, this is kind of the way Kant. Uh, thought about it, and um, the the danger of this is that it by putting something between me and the world, and not and not letting me get out of the, uh, that thing and get to the world directly without having to put on another set of glasses, <laughs> uh, then I'm never able to know what's out there, hmm. and all I can do if somebody else has a different set of glasses is maybe we can shout at each other or, you know, try to use non-rational forms of persuasion by shaming people for, for believing what they believe. But none of us knows who's right. And see the the worldview is glasses position thinks that we all start reasoning with our presuppositions, but that's bogus. That's not true. You don't start with presuppositions. Because if you did, then your your choice of presuppositions would themselves be arbitrary. Mm -hmm. Because remember, you can only reason from your presuppositions. You can't reason Mm -hmm. to them. And so I think we all start with our knowing with experience, but it's not within the five senses. Experience can go far beyond that into uh, rational experience of the laws of logic, uh, rational experience of the truths of mathematics. So, so, but I don't want to get lost there. But I'll summarize by saying that if you say the your worldview is a set of glasses, you're you're a constructivist because the only world that you can know is what's built up by your glasses. Uh, you can never get to the real world, and thus your worldview compared to another is so incommensurable that there's no common ground on which you can reason with one another. You just talk completely past one another. Stan, do you want to add something to that?
2: Well I am so often confronted this with this as well. So uh yeah Jordan, great question, great observation. I appreciate yes. those comments, JP. Uh you know, it is again an example of how the influence of, in this case, Kant and the enlightenment has so permeated our thinking that sometimes we don't even see it. And as uh, a great example, you know, he said we can't get beyond our experiences to the thing out there. And that's so much now given as a, as a starting point. And so I appreciate you pointing out that, 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 no, that's actually not the case. Uh And, and, and there's so many illustrations that can be given, you know, children, uh, learning language assumes they can they can understand what the thing is before they have words to put on it. I mean, we just see this happen all the time. And, and I know you've written quite a bit on that. Uh, and I found a lot of those things helpful. I, I'd love to have you just say a little bit more because this is something that there's not a lot of conversation about, unfortunately, because it is such an assumption. And there is such error, I think, in the air we breathe culturally about this so would you say a little more about uh maybe the three types of knowing and how that applies to actually knowing the world as it is yes well there's there's no knowledge by acquaintance which
1: means that you know something by just being directly aware of it and like i said that could be uh by through the five senses or there can be a, a direct awareness uh as you're acquainted with what's going on inside your consciousness and your soul uh, mathematics and logic are are called a priori disciplines which just means for our purposes that our ability uh to 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 know the truths of logic and mathematics is not based on sense experience but it is based on experience namely rational awareness uh of a basic law of logic, let's say. It's just because when we become aware of it, it we it is becomes self-evident to us that it's true. More complicated proofs is is different. Sure. Uh, and also your awareness of God and uh uh things of that sort, or awareness of this, let's say, the order of creation. So experience actually comes before thought. And thought comes before language. And so a little child can can observe several red things over a four or five week period. And the little child notices that they have something in common. And so they fix on that. And it's the color because it's not the shape because you saw a cherry once and a tomato and a fire truck. And they weren't in the same place, one was on the floor, one was on the table, but the thing in common with all of them was the color, they were all red. Let's suppose they were all the same shade of red. Well, then the little child can can place in his mind that common color and form a concept of of something, what, what it is for something to be red. It's not a picture. It's a concept. It's a mental concept. And they can, therefore, um, start thinking about red. And uh, even if they're asleep and the lights are off, they can still think about red with this concept. But later they learn a a, a chunk of language, a word red or rote or or rouge uh, in different languages, so they can express the concept that they formed of red by direct contact with the external world through acquaintance with it. And so that's the way that that knowledge works into that, I think. And it uh, it is inconsistent with us starting with presuppositions uh, and our worldview as glasses.
0: We will return to the show in just a moment. But first, a word from our sponsor. Do you have a child, relative or friend preparing for or attending college? What they need most are Christian professors who can help them learn to love God with their hearts and minds during these impressionable years. Global Scholars equips Christian professors to be there for them and walk with them during their years in college. Please visit www.global-scholars.org to learn how you can help equip Christian professors to show Christ's love on a campus near you and around the world. Please also check out Stan's other podcast, College Faith. While this podcast is focused on the ideas prevalent in our culture, including our universities, the College Faith podcast is more focused on the practical issues of thriving in college as a Christian. Students, as well as parents of students, and soon-to-be students, will enjoy hearing from the guests Stan has on the show. Visit collegefaith.net or download episodes on your favorite podcast platform. And now back to thinking Christianly. I have noticed that for people, it can be a really difficult task to move their worldview from a concept to something they can communicate with language. So how, what is the value of or the importance of moving it to a place where we can articulate it? Or is it okay that some of it just stays a concept for us? Stan,
1: I'd love to hear what you think about that. I we we may have different views on that. I don't know.
2: I th- I think it's important for us to be able to articulate it for two reasons. One, inevitably the process of articulating something causes us to formulate more carefully what we think, and in that process often see where it's not consistent either with other things we Believed to be true or with how we are living mm-hmm. and that in and of itself is helpful. I think in uh, you know, in, in spiritual formation, in human flourishing more broadly, but also part of our uh, call in the world is being in community with others. And in community, we are engaging one another, to, uh, as the scriptures say, sharpen one another as iron sharpens iron, and um, you know that's obviously in a Christian context, but more broadly with my neighbor or whoever who may not share my faith commitment to be talking about these things. Because again, if 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 truth leads to human flourishing, if the good, the true, and the beautiful actually is what it is to live as God's creation well in the world, then we'd want to have not only clarity for ourselves, but we'd we'd want to be in conversation with others either to help them. If we think they, they have a view that won't lead to their flourishing or maybe they'll correct us. And in the conversation we will we'll realize, Oh, I hadn't thought about that. That helps me to really understand better. This, this thing I've been trying to figure out. Beautiful. So, so yeah, it's, it's, it, it's, it's important. Uh, it's less and less done. And, you know, JP you've mentioned some of the reasons and there's some other reasons with our, uh, increasingly isolated bubbles we live in where we don't hear from one another but uh, you know some of my richest experiences and most formative experiences have been just those times when I've been able to have conversations about these really meaningful important things that are the contents of a worldview such that it helped me live better and uh, and, and perhaps help somebody else live better as a result GP, well, you, you you may disagree and have other things uh, to to no, add. No, I
1: I actually do agree. I, I completely with you. I, maybe I could add something. Yeah. Um, I think language helps us to develop our thought better. So we think before language. But one of the things language does is it helps us focus on the content of a thought longer mm-hmm. than if we don't have language. So, for example, if you're trying to, in a contest, trying to keep your mind on. A brown dog, and everybody's trying to do that. One of the ways to keep your mind focused longer is to try to picture a dog in your mind and have an image of the dog. Now, you're not thinking about the image, and you're actually not thinking with the image. You're thinking with your concept of a dog, but the image is allowing you to stay focused. This is why memorizing scripture is easier if you say it out loud. Or you write it down because it's seeing that, that on paper that allows you to stay focused on it longer than just having the thought in your mind. So, so written and spoken language was absolutely crucial to developing human thought because it, it, it's what we need to stay focused for a longer period of time. Um, Jordan, I wonder if I might give uh, maybe my uh, understanding of a worldview uh, that's a little bit unique, and uh, we could toss it out for discussion if you don't mind.
0: Yes, please. We'd love that.
1: I think a worldview is both a set of habits of thinking and noticing and the result of those habits now let me explain so a worldview is a set of habits of thinking a certain way or of noticing certain things and the results of those habits. So let's think about what it would mean to say a worldview is a set of habits of thinking and noticing and and the results. Uh, this missionary came to chapel one day. And he said, "I'm going to show you a slide of something somewhere in the world. Take out a piece of paper, and I'm going to give you five minutes to write down everything you can see." Well, we did. And so after that, he went on and talked. Now he said at the end of his talk, he said, "I want to do something else." He said, "I'm going to put a slide up here, and I want you to take out another sheet of paper, and for five minutes, we're going to write out everything you see on this slide." Well, it was the same slide. And so, but we write and like act. And he said, "Okay, now." Time's up. Now, compare your two lists. He said, what you're going to find is you the lists are exactly identical. Because when you go to see something again, you're not looking for something new. You're looking to confirm what you already saw. Now, what that means is that after looking around, uh, we form habits of what we notice and don't notice. I mean, I can tell you that my wife... Has changed the pictures on the wall in the, in the in the TV room, and and I've spent hundreds of hours in here. And I'll say, oh my gosh, when did, I never, where did you get that? She said a year and a half ago. <laughs> yeah, because I wasn't in the habit of noticing what was on that wall. Mm-hmm. Now you see, if you're not in the habit of of noticing signs that God has intervened, then you will miss those, not because you can't see them because you are got glasses between you and the world, but because your habits won't allow you at that point to notice what you're seeing un- unless you reform the habits. We get into ruts through our habits. So what I'm trying to say is that the beliefs and the way we see things are influenced by our habits of what we do and don't notice and, and how we repetitively think about things. And that's why it's very important that we examine our thoughts and step back and examine you know, how we're looking at things. But I'll summarize by saying the main point here is that I can change my habits through further contact with the real world. Uh, I'm not blocked off from the world. I can redo my habits of noticing and thinking if somebody gives me an idea to go look for or something of that sort. Might be hard, might be hard, especially if I'm lazy. Oh, and especially if my worldview is a coping strategy to keep me from facing reality. That way, the worldview is doing work for me emotionally. Uh, and that becomes real hard because we lie to ourselves and say we're not really doing that; we're really being fair about our worldview. But in fact, we formulated it because we hate our father. He was he was uh, uh, mean to us as kids, and we have reacted to him by forming a worldview that keeps us safe from and superior to our dads or things of that sort. Mm-hmm.
2: That makes me think of Paul Witz's work, The Psychology of Atheism. We project that onto and God as well, and develop Beautiful. a whole worldview around that, right? Yep.
0: Mm-hmm. Have you ever been car shopping? You're looking at a certain model of car, and then all of a sudden, you feel like you see a thousand of those on the road. Sure. You just see them everywhere. Right. And it's like, well, you've attuned yourself to pay attention to that model of vehicle.
1: That's right.
0: And so you... You see them everywhere. Really? Have there been this many Subarus out here all this time? (laughs) Well, and see
1: uh, what what this means, friends, is is that one of the things that we want to do in listening to the word preached is that we want to take away things that we will start to notice for a while, hopefully, that we didn't before. Uh, And it, it could be the way I'm living or how I'm handling my emotions or or what have you. But they give us now eyes to see, as they say, ways of noticing what we didn't notice before. That's a very good illustration.
0: This is the exact language I use with my children, and I've never thought about it like this, JP. So I think I am maybe primed to agree with you on this worldview.
1: Well, what Uh, a country.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So... What I'll tell my kids is, you know, I kneel down next to them and I say, I want you to notice your friend is having a hard day today. I want you to notice this. I want you to notice that. And with this barrage of sensory information that we're all getting all the time, we have to limit it. And how do you decide what you limit and what you don't and what you allow in? Will you notice that the person who is... You know, checking you out at the grocery store has recently been crying. Will you notice that, you know, these different things are rearranged in your life and we can be trained to notice those things? And wow, what a great illustration of the word in church, especially as it's preached to us, calling things to attention. That's so helpful.
1: Well, and that's why broadcasts like this are are far more important to the audience than they may realize. And, and here's why the biggest danger is the problem of drift. And drift is where you just passively allow the stream of life to carry you downstream. And the stream of life is what your culture uh, says about things and, 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 your, and your own personal habits. And you, before you know it, it, you're 20 years later, and and you haven't changed much at all, and all you're doing is drifting. And what the way to to break out of that is to is to have somebody or somehow help you to start noticing things again. And that means coming alive <laughs> mm-hmm. because you come alive by, by being curious and cultivating intellectual and and good Christian curiosity uh, is a tremendous way to avoid cultural conformity and drift.
2: Mm. I love that word curiosity. I've thought a lot about that recently, and uh, it, it really does seem to summarize so much of what God calls us to. To wonder at, at at his glory, to wonder at uh, his glory in other people, to wonder at uh, what's true, uh, you know. Again, the truth, the good, and the beautiful. To just wonder about those things. Why is that? Uh, how is that? To revel in the in the glory that it is. All of those things. It it, it starts with curiosity, right? And just uh, mm. and just being attentive enough to ask those questions and. Talk about those things with others and maybe read something about it and uh it, it, I, i'm I'm realizing how how central that is to to my own spiritual formation just the right. the 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 importance of and the practice of curiosity and wonder and exploration and those type of things you bet
0: I recently yeah. read a book um called the Prophetic Imagination by Walter Bergerman
2: hmm.
0: and It's really, in many ways, really spot on because one of the things that he says is when we are imagining our future, we often imagine the pieces we have in front of us just rearranged a little bit. What the promise of newness of life brings is that God might bring us actually new things. So instead of just rearranging the pieces over and over again, we need to have the imagination to encounter a future that might be really radically different and maybe not necessarily in a physical way, but in the way that we see our world. And he identifies that as the role of the prophet to cultivate the imagination of a community. And I thought that was really, a really interesting way to see this as something that can be cultivated in community.
1: Hmm. Well, that's so appropriate uh because when you imagine things or if you're cast into something brand new in your life, perhaps through <laughs> no a power of your own one of the one of the connections is that it does cause you to see things or to notice things differently mm-hmm. and what is interesting is that some of the things that get our attention to see things differently are tragedies like i've been sick for for a long time and uh, it's caused me to see things a whole host of things uh, that i i uh I, I am noticing the the little things of life each day uh and and i am more attuned to those little things and uh that that's just an example but but mm-hmm. what 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 that means is that one of the one of the ways that all things work together for good to those who love God are called according to his purpose is that when something hard comes into your life, one of the ways it does not the only way, but one of the ways it produces goodness is it gets your attention and it wakes you out of your dogmatic slumber, as it were. <laughs> and, and you begin to you begin to maybe see things in a fresh way and differently. And it produces, guess what? Growth. Mm-hmm. It really does.
0: Yeah. C.S. Lewis's quote, you know, suffering is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Ooh. Stan, do you have any rebuttals for JP on his definition there of worldview or how he's framing it?
2: No, I don't. Um, I, I think there are just, it's like a multifaceted gemstone, yes. different ways to look at it. And yeah. uh, each yeah. picks out a different element that's true and uh and i'm sure there are other ways we could frame it that we haven't yet that would pick out other elements but that's a difference of emphasis than a difference yeah, right. in the reality so no mm-hmm. not at all yeah I mean, it's very helpful
1: and i think jordan i mean i i, I so agree that the the uh illustration stand just used of a, of a gemstone is just perfect because uh there's there are different ways of def- getting at the gemstone and I think the various definitions that we've talked about are all spot on. Uh, they're wonderful. But one, the thing I I, I constantly want to keep coming back to is that however you define a worldview, I just don't want to say that it blocks me off from being able to, to, to test it against reality. I need to have direct contact with reality somehow so I can test my ideas, including my worldview, against the real world. And that I will not give that up. That's absolutely crucial. Otherwise we have no way to really readjust our worldview except by talking to people who have the same one we've got and come into agreement, you know? Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. You mentioned slip and just kind of fading into, you know, in 20 years past and you hadn't really changed or evaluated anything. I wonder What would be some signs and symptoms, some early clues that our worldview has started to veer into a place that isn't Christian, where we're starting to cross lines?
2: I'll start. uh, I mean, there's obviously scripture, God's revealed truth. And so if we find that we are clearly at odds with scripture. That's, that's a pretty good indication. Now that can be overstated because we can mm-hmm. think our interpretations right. And, and we're not right about that, you know, so we've got to check ourselves and do our homework and be in community and all those things. But that being said, and I alluded to it a minute ago, but I don't want to fall into the trap of, of the individualism that grips our mm-hmm. current milieu and uh, assume that it's all up to me to identify that type of slippage and then correct it. Uh, we're part of a community of faith, if we're Christ followers, or at least hopefully we are. We're, of course, part of the universal uh, community of believers, but uh, we hopefully are all in a local community as well. They can hold us accountable, can challenge us, yes. can be sources of, of insight and wisdom, along with being in touch with the history of our people. You know, this this Christianity thing didn't start when my, my church sprung up uh, in the suburbs <laughs> 20 years ago or the Reformation <laughs> happened or, you know, I mean, it, it it we're part of a long history of Christ followers. And, uh, you know, we, as it said, stand on the shoulders of giants. So we we better not forget that, too. And that mm-hmm. can be a great source of helping us, even if everyone in our current time and place say a certain thing. Uh, it sometimes is just that we're all wrong. And mm-hmm. uh, it's kind of like C.S. Lewis said, I think I've quoted it before, we had to read old books, not because they get everything right. It's just that they don't have our errors. So we'll mm-hmm. spot their errors because they're not ours, but they'll correct things that we all take to be givens, because it's just the air we breathe these days. But they didn't have those assumptions and, and, and make those same errors. So they can help us see where we've gone off wow. kilter. Mm-hmm mm-hmm, good, maybe,
0: stuff. yeah, and maybe that might be a place where the glasses metaphor can sort of be helpful is let's say we're trying to read something as the original audience would have, you know however old that may be, we attempt to see things as they saw it, so maybe you know it's not getting between us so much. I don't know, do we think it works?
1: sure, I mean you can use this image of uh, this metaphor. Uh, in, in a very helpful way, as long as you don't push it and you clarify. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that works really well. I think another way you can tell that your worldview is veering away from a a, Christian, a, a solid Christian one uh, is, involves uh, something Dallas said. He said, reality is what you bump up against when your beliefs are false. Now, think about a liar, and detectives will tell you this. I've talked to some detectives mm-hmm. about this. And it's just common sense. It's harder to remember and to sustain a lie than it is if you told the truth. Because if you tell somebody the truth, uh, you don't have to bump up against contradictions later when you tell it again that you got to patch up. (laughs) Mm So telling the truth is really simple. But if you tell a lie, then... It, somebody says, "Well, you weren't down there, <laughs> you know, you weren't at the the lake that time." Well, he said, well, really, I, I, uh, I, my friend was, and I came later, and and well, who's your friend's name? Well, it was such and such. Well, we'll go, we'll go ask him where he was. Well, he, you know, I told him not to keep this sort of confidential, so he may not be forthcoming But So you get the point. Mm-hmm. Um, and so. Uh, 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 The same thing happens when your worldview is false. You bump up against reality and your worldview does not comport with what you're bumping up against. Mm -hmm. So what you have to do is make up a story to to save your worldview. It's, It's called an ad hoc explanation and your story says, well, okay, but maybe the world isn't like that on certain times. And after a while, you've got, so many qualifications on your worldview it dies the death of a thousand qualifications and i thank god i don't have to do that as a christian in fact mm-hmm. i'm constantly realizing that when when i read the word carefully doggone it, it's true it makes sense of the world i actually live in mm-hmm. and i don't have to engage in uh where people that are you know they don't believe in objective morality because they're atheists and they get all morally offended because Christians do this, that, and the other. Well, what's that about? If there aren't any, you know, objective morals, uh, what, what is, what am I to make of your moral offense and outrage at my behavior as a Christian? Well, you, they got to make up some story, you know. And I, I'm just—I don't want to do that. I'm too old, and and I'm glad that I don't have to keep making up stories to cover my worldview behind.
0: Mm. If you know what I'm saying. <laughs> It's a really interesting way to look at it because it really is a much, a much freer life. Truly, oh my gosh! If yes. we are ruthlessly committed to reality, I'm sure you've experienced people who, you know, maybe they did something really terrible or they they made a choice they sincerely regret, and instead of repenting, they find a way to spin it into yeah. something. You know, okay. I've never done this. I would never. But, you know, other people <laughs> who do these things. Sure. Um, but finding a way to spin it into something that's like, well, actually, you know, with this story, I come out looking like the hero. And man, we're good at that. That commitment to honesty can really save us from being captives to our own lies.
1: Oh, you bet. You bet.
0: So, how do we go about fostering? and cultivating a biblical and Christian worldview in our own lives. And then in our spheres of influence, how do we, how do we notice the right things?
2: Well, JP already mentioned, uh, first of all, being cognizant of noticing and, uh, mm-hmm. aware, you know, of course, whether it's, uh, through hearing the word preached or reading scriptures or any other way that we're in, in the scriptures, studying to to show ourselves approved as second Timothy uh, 215 says, but, uh, but also, I, I, I think it's, uh, it's reading and thinking more broadly than just scripture. I, I, I don't want to overemphasize that such that it communicates that is the only place we can go to cultivate a biblical worldview. Uh, to JP's point about reality being what you bump into when you're wrong, uh, we learn about reality in so many different ways, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and actually one of my favorite quotes is uh is is from John Wesley about the importance for those in the ministry now he's not just talking about all the rest of us but those in the ministry to be committed to not just study scripture but study areas well beyond scripture that some might say oh yeah i'm not sure that's as important uh, let me read uh, just a bit of this he says Ought not a minister to have first a good understanding, a clear apprehension, a sound judgment, and a capacity of reasoning with some closeness? And he goes on to list disciplines like logic and metaphysics and other areas that we ought to be studying as Christians to to develop a biblical worldview. Uh, Contrary to, we'll just just read the Bible and you'll get it all. So, yeah, there's that whole range of things that that God gives us the opportunity to study by creating and communicating. Truth through his creation, that uh, that help us form and 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 even correct our our worldview beyond scripture, uh, though scripture is central.
1: Mm-hmm. You bet. I think another way to do this is to do everything you can uh, to cultivate curiosity in yourselves and in your friends. So I think it's important to try to have conversations with your friends sometimes that is about something you don't normally talk about, but that might generate some interesting just discussion, and and it might make you curious to want to know. Well, doggone, I'm going to go look that up, <laughs> you know, or something of that sort. Mm-hmm.
2: So, so I, I've got a way I do that, and oh, um, hear it. I hear it. try not to be irritating in this, and it can be irritating, and and I, I <laughs> so I, I'm I'm aware of that but i preface it with this is really helpful to me what you're saying uh but i just keep asking why questions okay not in a skeptical way not well why do you think that but in a in a genuinely curious way boy that's interesting why why do you think that that's the case or how would you come to that conclusion or yeah that's or great. uh or what 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 makes you think that's, that's right. Again, you've got to ask it in the right way, the right tone, you know, so it doesn't sound in any way accusatory because it's not. But, uh, but I find if I keep asking that question in the right way, people keep sharing more of their thinking and it really is helpful to, Mm -hmm. to, to have those kind of conversations. And I come away encouraged. I, I, I think other people come away encouraged by those conversations. Again, if I do it in the right way, But uh, but I come away usually a better person for it.
1: That's good. Mm -hmm. That's good. Um, You know, one of the things I do, uh, and I used to do this with the kids when they were younger, is if we watched a movie or or a television show Mm -hmm. or or even the news, I would I would. In in addition to enjoying the movie, which is perfectly legitimate, <laughs> uh, I would I would uh, intentionally set myself to notice any worldview themes or threads that I found in in, in the movie or the news program, even if they were being assumed. But weren't explicitly stated, but were being assumed. Now, when I first started doing this, I wasn't very good at it, and I missed. But if you stay with it, after a while, you you'd be shocked at what you can see, uh, uh, even at what isn't said explicitly. And I, and that, to me, uh, is uh, adds another a dimension to uh, movie watching and things of that sort. And I think it's. I mean, I know Christians who make it a habit to go see movies. And then they go out and get a coffee together and they literally talk about the moral and worldview themes that they noticed in the movie and what they thought of that. I just, gee, I mean, yeah. you know, oh, yeah. that's pretty interesting oh, yeah. stuff.
2: Hey, mm-hmm. I'm going to put a plug in for my other podcast. I've interviewed a couple of folks on my college faith podcast about just this thing, how you can watch movies uh, and and read books and other Media, but especially movie is in such a way that you can identify the worldview implications and with your kids or friends, draw them out. We'll link those in the show notes.
0: Wow. Thanks, Dan. Those are good ones. I think it's interesting to note here, too, that when you're talking about having these conversations with others, you're not talking about a kind of flipping the lid on their head and dumping your worldview in and then closing it again. You're inviting them to cultivate their own worldview. And even with children, I, I haven't been a parent very long, but I've been a parent long enough to realize that I cannot deposit my worldview into the mind of my child. I'm going to have to create an environment where the things that are true, good, beautiful, the things that I want them to notice are are things that are obvious to them and help guide them along that path. I can't just say, you know, this is the way it is and that's how it is. And, you know, that'll be that and walk away and think that I've given some useful instruction. That's not how worldview works. It's shaped, it's formed, it, it changes and it can be, yeah, it can be cultivated, but not deposited. If that makes sense.
2: Mm -hmm. Sure does. Good distinction.
0: Any thoughts before we go?
2: I
1: think it's been a very good discussion and a timely one, and I just hope and pray that our our, our listeners ha- have been stimulated to continue to to think about worldview and its its importance in life.
2: Mm. And yeah, I'll just add that there are a number of good resources on worldview. I mentioned Jim Sire's book, "The Universe Next Door." Ronald Nash, a Christian philosopher, has written a book uh, many years ago now but it's still great uh world views and conflict choosing christianity in a world of ideas mm. and then there's actually some uh deeper dives jim sire came out with naming the elephant worldview as a concept which actually isn't about what the worldviews are but about even the concept of a worldview and how we should think about it uh and there are others but uh, i'll name those three as helpful mm-hmm. next steps for listeners who want to read a little bit more on this idea
0: yeah. And we can certainly drop those in the show notes. So be sure to check those out for those resources and some additional ones. Great. Thanks, everyone. Well, thank you. Good to you. see you.
1: Good to be with you. Take care. Blessings. Oh, bye.
0: That brings us to the end of this edition of the Thinking Christianly podcast. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation in the pursuit of faith seeking understanding. Be sure to check out today's show notes at www.thinkingchristianly.org podcasts, where you can find more information and the resources we discussed. Finally, please do visit our sponsor, Global Scholars. Until next time, this is Jordan Plink, encouraging you to think Christianly.